ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here for B-Sides. Again. This time, um, covering out the uh, July 19, what is it, what are we in, 1991? Sure. I think. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely early 90s. uh, We're going to start out with X-Factor number 68, and uh, this is a terrible cover. It's uh it's a terrible cover and sort of a mess of an issue. Actually the 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 apocalypse in the background is decent. The cyclops in the foreground is horrible. Right. It's uh what would you call this? What's the style? It's uh it's like three tones, three different colors. Feels like it's a mosaic. <laughs> sort of. Um and then who is the cover artist here? I don't I don't recognize those symbols. It looks like I'm assuming it's Will Spartacio since he's the inner artist, but I don't know. And I'm wondering, is that like, uh, was it kanji? I don't know. It looks like Japanese. Like from Star Wars? Is that what that's called? Kanji? <laughs> Isn't that what the Japanese alphabet is called? Why don't you ask Kanji Club? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I don't. Yeah. You, the, the, it's, it's another language. It's presumably two other languages because the Inker also uh, has what looks like a different syntax. A different uh, character set. Different different letters, yeah. Well, so, I don't know. Is is Will Sportacio uh, from Japan? I have no idea. Me neither. I never really I mean, thought about it. I mean, we could look it up. I'm not going to. It would be the thing to do. No. Let's see if I can figure it out from Wikipedia. <laughs> Just leaning over. You're supposed to vamp while I'm doing this. Well, I there's only there's not much to vamp about on this cover. There's some tubes in the background. Tell me about how the arms are tiny and the legs are beefy. The arms are tiny and the legs are beefy. <laughs> Will Sportacio is a Filipino American okay. comic book writer. Um, it's probably my na- na- naivete that would would automatically go to Japanese, but. Uh, so apologies there, but I guess that tracks then. Cavite City, Philippines. I don't know anything about the Philippines. Nor do I. Well, anyways, uh, it's a, it's a, it's not a great cover. Yeah. That's uh, moving on. <laughs> it's a good apocalypse, terrible Cyclops. I would not buy this as a t-shirt. I would think that this was a misprint. <laughs> Somebody made a mistake with the coloring. There's no inks on Cyclops. Well, I guess there's some inks on Cyclops, but it's... Well, there must be inks because that's, I'm assuming, the second the second set of letters. Yeah, yeah. But I could be wrong. Well, there's definitely... I, I, I guess typically the inkers and the, and the artists don't share the little, uh, the little signature area. No. So this might just be one name. Could be. Maybe this is Will Sportacio in Filipino. Maybe it's in two different languages, or maybe it's just... It is was one set of characters, even though it, it looks like two. Yeah, we, well, we spent most, uh, way too much time talking about that. So let's open up the book and uh, see what we got here. So it took me a minute to figure out where we were in this story. Um, and so since it's been probably a while for me, it's maybe been a while for the listener. Uh, X-Factor flew into space because the ship was called there, right? The ship didn't the ship blow up? The ship blew up. Ship blew up, but there's still traces or elements of ship. Yeah, the ship consciousness is like hanging out with Beast somehow. Yeah, 
uh, and the Inhumans found X Factor uh, and and saved them, and then there was a little bit of fighting or something like that, and now. We left the last issue off with giant apocalypse uh, hovering over um, our X-Factor people. So the in- apocalypse kidnapped a bunch of Inhumans, so the Inhumans are working with X-Factor to rescue them, as well as Nathan, Christopher, Xavier, Summers, Summers whatever prior. his name is. <laughs> yeah. So that sort of catches us up. Um, also, there's a girl from the future who we speculate could be Rachel, but her name is Ascani. Yeah, and I was confused because I thought Ascani was like a race or a, a... I thought so too. A clan or a group or something like that. It might turn out that that's true Yeah, in the future. Who knows? We're about to enter a whole world of the unknown as far as uh, comics that I don't remember and also stopped reading. Which is ironic because this is kind of where we got more into collecting mutant titles, right? Because this is this is the dawn of of everything, Jim Lee and the X Men reboot and X Factor uh, title shuffle, uh, X Force, all that stuff. So we were buying these, we were reading these, but I, yeah, to your point, I don't really remember. <laughs> I certainly don't remember this issue. Um, I've read. Because some of the things that happen in this issue obviously will lead to other things that happen in the Marvel Universe. Uh, and I had read about these events, but I had no idea that it took place in this particular issue. <coughs> Adam, we yeah. were just talking about muting ex- uh, uh, etiquette when you're on a conference call. Yeah, I don't know how to mute this. <laughs> to be honest, uh, we've been doing this podcast for over 10 years, and I have no idea how to mute Skype. <laughs> Is it this button? I'm afraid to click it because I might hang up on you. You you, you click the blue microphone button. All right, I'm going to try it. Yeah. This is Adam learning how to use Skype. All right, that worked. (laughs) That was exciting. All right, totally going to cough off air from now on. I'm glad we all learned something here today. (laughs) So Nathan Christopher Summers prior Xavier Smith uh, is in the clutches of Giant Apocalypse uh, X Factor is down below, and now the what are these guys called? The Knights. The well, the Riders of the Storm. Oh yeah, those guys. They they swing into attack. Apocalypse is definitely talking about the Twelve. We get some more members of the Twelve. I don't. I don't. I think we knew that Storm was a member of the Twelve, but I don't know that we knew that Charles Xavier was a member of the Twelve or Cable, since Cable's so new. Right. Cyclops is a, a member of the Twelve. Cyclops is doing a lot of the narration, and I'll be honest. So Cyclops does narrate this whole issue. Most of it. There's there's some additional narration from um, Ascani, I think. But I thought, uh, and this would have been maybe too forward thinking, as I was reading the initial narration, I was like, ooh, it would be really cool if this is all narrated by Nathan Christopher, but Nathan Christopher from the summer, or from the from the future. But it's from not. The it's summer? From the summer. I, well, summers, I... Uh, look, Adam, I'm an old man. I get words confused a lot. I know. I know. I do, too. <laughs> I, but I think it's important that we point each other's flaws out. Oh, I guess I didn't even realize that these pictures were of the 12. So, yeah, you got Storm, Xavier, Cable, question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah. And we see more of these later. Okay. And um, so there might be more. I don't. 
I know it's a different shot of Storm, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Then we got our opening credits here. It's uh, by Will Spartacio and Jim Lee doing the plot and Chris Claremont doing the scripting, and he is scripting his heart out in this issue. Mm-hmm. You almost think he gets paid by the word, or he's like, ah, oh, this is my final, my final... Because a lot, in my opinion, a lot of the action... And the words, in my opinion, are very disconnected in this issue. So if this, well, as I was reading this issue, if it didn't have words, I probably wouldn't know what was going on most of the time. Right. It is very difficult to discern based on only the drawings what is happening. So I found myself reading a lot of this issue and then realizing that I had no idea like what was happening action-wise. So I'd go back and I'd look at like, what are the panels showing me? And I'm like... These like random things are happening from a layout and a drawing perspective uh, that it's just like I said, it's disconnected from the the script. And I don't know if it was Chris Claremont trying to put his final touches on it or he's looking at this being like, well, I know what they want to do, but here's some words. I don't know. I mean, they must have given him an outline because there's very (laughs) the words sometimes are completely opposite of what's happening in the images. I got to the point where I was just like, I'm. I can't, I have to stop looking at the pictures because they're just, they're, it's just confusing. Yeah. And, and the, the weird thing is this is, this is a very important arc. Some, some, well, at least one very important thing happens in this issue. Uh, but it, it was just so haphazard, uh, disconnected that I was in the same boat of, uh, you know, we're going to get partway through this issue and I'm be like, oh yeah, I didn't even see that because I was focusing so much on the words to try to try to keep the story together. But Anyway, so that that's that's part of the the creative team there. Then we've got so Will Portacio is doing the pencils, uh, pencils. Art Thiebert is doing the inks. Uh, Michael Heisler is doing the letters. Uh, Dana Morsehead is doing the colors. Bob Harris editing, and Tom DeFalco is the editor in chief. So, I don't know. This this is probably the last creative lineup for this title, um, or shortly will be. Yeah, Peter David takes over next issue. I think. Oh, well, that'll be interesting. Although I think it's with the same team. Sure. And I don't know who the art artist is. And then I believe the following issue is when it becomes the new Peter David yeah. uh, team. I think I only ever bought one Peter David issue. And I was like, this is weird. And then I stopped buying X Factor. So that, I think that... I bought two. And yeah, it was definitely weird. Yeah. Um, I, I think nowadays it won't be so weird because we're more familiar with... I guess Mike Mignola yeah. tight style artwork. Yep. But uh, yeah, back then it was definitely different. This isn't Jim Lee or Todd McFarlane. Or Jack Kirby. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about Jack Kirby back then. Well, no, but you know, you have your old style comic books, which while not being as cool and hip as the 90s, at least were easy to follow. Yep. Yep, exactly. So Cyclops continues narrating, uh, you know, this Apocalypse was talking about the twelve. Uh, Cyclops tells us that there are believed to be a dozen key mutants who will prove instrumental to the survival of Homo sapiens superior. I wonder if you tracked all the times that they showed who was in the 12, if there's actually like probably more like 15. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know. And I also, I'm sure at some point the 12 will pay off, but I don't, I don't remember ever seeing it pay off. I, I, I know that there is a, the 12 series. Okay. Um, that goes between a couple of different things. Sure. And I only know that because I, I think it crosses through the Wolverine issues and I saw 
the title, uh, the 12 on the cover of a Wolverine issue. And I was like, Oh, they're finally doing that. I did not read it. However, because I was not reading comic books back then. And it was probably part of a batch of Wolverines that I picked up off of eBay that was just missing. Oh, sure. My collection. Sure. So the riders, is it riders on the storm or riders of the storm? Riders on the, of the storm. Is it of the? I don't know. Okay. Uh, it says of the, around the riders okay. of the storm. Okay. His latest band of flunkies, mm-hmm. the riders of the storm. So they fight. Uh, and it, it ends with somebody has taken control of Medusa, who knocks out Jean, who causes Cyclops to get distracted, and somebody, I don't know, who knocks out Cyclops. Here is our first example of seeing, but like, uh, you, you see Cyclops fall, you see Dream Gary fall. I guess you sort of see Warren fall. Mm-hmm. You don't see anybody else fall. Mm-hmm. But in the next issue, they're all captured. Or the next page, rather. Which is okay, because the majority of this issue, if not the entire issue, and it'd be interesting if we can kind of pay attention to that, is told from Cyclops's, uh, uh per- perspective. So if he has fallen unconscious before Iceman goes down, that makes sense. And then, then he just wakes up in a tube. That makes sense. It's all narrated from his perspective. So I, I want to believe that the 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 things that we're seeing are also the things that Cyclops is seeing. Yeah, that would be true if, if when Cyclops falls, we didn't then see Crystal take out Warren Worthington. I also just assume like he's laying on the ground, sort of watching this, and then he passes out. And the better way to portray that is to show those panels maybe get a little bit blurry and faded, uh, but they're crystal clear. So you're right. <laughs> I mean, I I like where you're going with it. That would have been really clever, but. Then he's then he cuts to you. I hate being knocked out. <laughs> so then I also wonder: Is this Chris Claremont creating that? Like, there was never a discussion about this is all going to be Cyclops's perspective, and he's going to do the narration. Or if Chris Claremont got these pages and he's like, "Oh my god!" Well, let's just have Cyclops narrate the whole thing uh, so know. people can follow along. No idea. Because I mean, the other I, thing, I feel like even if they did say Cyclops narrates it, then that's fine. But I, I don't think I don't think there's anything that really saves this. It, it just feels like they handed something off to Chris Claremont yeah. and expected him to figure it out. And the other thing that sort of doesn't track with that narration is if this is this is a three part series. So if they're going to have the final issue narrated by Cyclops, you would think that you would have the first two issues narrated from either Cyclops's perspective or or anybody's perspective. It doesn't matter. Just to sort of continue that theme through the three issues. This just felt like a wild left turn. And it, artistically, it also feels like a wild left turn. So I've, I, I think maybe we're on something that by the time Wilson and Jim get to this issue, Wilson is like way behind. He's just drawn up a storm and is like trying to catch up. And he ends up with this, mm-hmm. which isn't really clear. And he's got all these notes that he hands off to Chris and says, hey, this is what we wanted to do. Good Make luck. <laughs> Yeah, well, and it's also possible that Jim Lee and the rest of the new team are just maybe hurriedly closing out plot lines so that they yeah, can they're, they're, kick they're off their thing. They're trying to get to a point. Yeah, which is which is which will be made clear towards the end of this issue. Um, so yeah, they're they're captured in tubes. I don't know what are they going to do. Uh, they're going to draw their life essence. Or Apocalypse wants their life essence to do yeah. something. 
the apocalypse reveals the whole reason for his being, which is apparently to uh, steal the best mutants life essences or something. It's not entirely clear. So when it gets retconned uh, 50 years from now, right. it's fine. Yeah. From your strength, uh, from your life force, will my own be reborn? I don't know. It's just like throwing words on panels. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to do here? What is the whole point? Uh, the 12 that we've seen here, so Storm, Charles, Cable. I'm going to guess that that's Legion in the far background, just because the hair sticking so far up. Uh, but they writhe in agony as, I guess, the life force of Gene, Cyclops, and... Is that Iceman? No, it's got to be Angel. As their life force is being drained, they all react in pain. And so does little Nathan Christopher. Yeah, he's upset. Yeah. He's still here. So I don't know if all of these people are part of the 12 or I don't know what's happening. I'm not sure either. <laughs> it probably, uh, we could probably count the panels. Yeah. Let's see, there's there's five members of X-Factor and there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Seven possible. One, two, three, uh, four, five, six. So, yeah. so yeah, that's twelve. So yeah, I guess all of X Factor is part of the twelve. That's convenient. I thought Franklin <laughs> Richards was part of the twelve. Well, he's maybe one of these people that you can't see in the background. Okay. Um, the person behind Charles Xavier sort of looks like he's wearing Cannonball's costume. Cannonball would make sense. Yeah. I don't know who's behind Storm and Charles. That's that's just a little flash. And then to the left, that must be Wolverine because he's got little fangs. That looks like Beast, but Beast is part of X-Factor. Right. So, yeah, I, I agree know. that it looks like Beast, but Beast is already represented in, in his tube. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, Chris, Nathan Christopher is, is also writhing in agony. And this issue, uh, spoilers, is all about him. Although you wouldn't know it from all the crazy action that's happening. So they're in the tubes, writhing in pain, something explodes, and now everybody's out of their tubes. Yeah, because the, uh, what are those guys? The the moon guys? Inhumans. Inhumans, thank you. Yep, no worries. <laughs> the Inhumans show up. But part of the Inhumans were already there, corrupted. So now it's Black Bolt and Guy. I don't know who this guy is. So Cyclops reveals through his narration that they were running the whole this. All of this was part of his plan. Of course. Even, always even getting captured. Sure. Um, I don't know why you couldn't have a plan that didn't result in you getting captured and still end up with the same thing. But action, uh, Adam, action. The point is that they were running a distraction game while the Inhumans saved the rest of the Inhumans. Sure. And uh and they did that, and now the Inhumans, as part of the plan, have now come to their rescue. So that's that's great. Yeah. And now they're all attacking gigantic uh, apocalypse. Cyclops determines that the conduits are re-regenerate, re re-energizing, re energizing. Oh my wow. goodness! Have you not that had was... your coffee this morning? The re-regenerizing. <laughs> I just wanted to say that so bad. Re-energizing apocalypse. I don't know how he figured that out. But Apocalypse is like, ah, oh, you double-crossed me. You're brilliant. What a brilliant planner you are. You are indeed worthy of foes, Cyclops. And I'll slaughter you soon. So that my trouble with this whole thing in the plan is like, they're in tubes, everybody's angry, and then kaboom, everybody's out of their tubes. Like, can we get a panel maybe of showing Black Bolt and whoever his compatriot is actually executing on that? 
because again without any of this narration you're like what wh- who is doing what <laughs> yeah but anyway. without the narration you would be completely lost uh scanny is also here i, I don't i i thought she was on earth but <laughs> that's the other problem is like you have an earlier panel here of gene who's fighting against medusa they both have red hair uh, Medusa looks evil, and then you flip to this panel where all of a sudden Ascani shows up. She's got red hair, and for a moment I'm like, "Who is who?" <laughs> um, it's very confusing, and you're and you're right. You're like, "Where is she? Has she been here the whole time?" She's not very well established. I feel like there should have been a better opening panel of like all of the characters and where they were because that first opening panel shows you only X Factor, only Apocalypse, Nathan part of the 12 but it doesn't show you where the inhumans are where riders of the storm are where scani is where's black bolt so things are just happening yeah there's no establishing uh much less locations mm-hmm. or where people are or anything establishment is gone yeah the last i remember ascani is and this is probably a few issues ago she was looking up at the ship and this before the ship exploded so something happened to her last issue that don't recall. Let's just assume that the Inhumans teleported her up to. Maybe she like jumped, uh, tacked onto Lockjaw somehow. Sure, I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Beast goes to grab the, uh, Nathan Christopher, who's also tied up in a whole bunch of tubes. But then Escani es- knows that Beast can't do that, so she does it so that she takes the. It turns out the I guess the the cradle that he is sitting in is electrified yeah something this is is a weird thing that happens so she gets electrocuted i guess but it's okay because she can handle it well she she can handle it but then she says she's my physicality undergoing terminal discorporation so she's dying now oh yeah yep except that'll that won't happen who the blazes nomenclature ascani task trade (laughs) warrior my physicality undergoing terminal discorporation. So, so is she a robot? Has she been nomenclature, Ascani, <laughs> task trade, warrior? I, I don't know. <laughs> the death device is inert. You may safely remove the chosen. But hurry, kinsman, lest apocalypse somehow do him further harm. Thanks for telling me that. I need to just look oh, up. Oh, you mean Christopher's in danger? Yeah. All right, so Thanks. nomenclature, uh, I'm familiar with that, you know, being generally a, uh, you know, like in computer nomenclature, we would call that a blah, blah, blah. But now I'm actually just looking up the definition. So I just thought it just meant name because uh, Warpath, Warlock uses it a lot. Okay. the It's a noun, the devising or choosing of names for things, especially in science or other discipline. The Linnean system of zoological nomenclature. So is this just a fancy way of saying my name is Ascani? It's, well, it's, it's probably uh, loose enough that if, sure. if Ascani needs to be Something a people else. instead of a name, that it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm fine but with yeah, that. Yeah. I was under the impression that her name was Ascani. So, uh, Apocalypse kind of mutates into a, a very uh, blobby, mushy-looking Apocalypse and starts shooting at us? Yeah, well, <laughs> Cyclops notes that uh, Apocalypse is not using his metamorphical mutant ability, 
therefore they must be hitting him pretty hard. Yeah. I guess. It's um, just very odd because there's a lot of action between people and Apocalypse. Then we jump to Ascani, then we jump to Beast and the Baby, and then we jump back to Apocalypse is just shooting and we don't know who he's shooting at. Well, he's shooting at somebody. I sure. mean, we know he's shooting at the heroes, so. Yeah. Uh, which is Black Bolt and Cyclops at the very least, who are yelling and firing eye beams. Well, geez, when Black Bolt yells, it doesn't it set off bombs. Yeah, it seems like a very loose use of his power. Yeah, okay, like it's to me based on everything I know about Black Bolt and everything that they've established. I, I feel like Cyclops's head would be melted. <laughs> like he should be way far away as Black Bolt's doing his thing, and Apocalypse should be like, you know, yeah, Apocalypse should be taking or... some sort of blast. Exactly, but he's not. But we don't see that. No, not at all. What we do see is uh, Beast pulling Christopher Nathan Summers out of the cradle, and he's got all sorts of stuff on him. And I think, I think. That this panel of him with his with the thing over his eye and the little uh, mm. cyber, c- cybernetics over his body is where people first started getting the idea that he was Cable. Is it Cable's right eye or is it his left eye? I have no idea, but I feel like this panel was like I don't and I don't know if it was intentional, and it probably wasn't, but I feel like people readers saw this and were like, oh, he's Cable. Sure. Why not? I mean, I, I don't know. That That's just my impression. And I don't know where I got this idea, but I had this idea before I read this issue. Okay. So I must have gotten it somewhere. I, yeah, I mean, I, I only jumped to that conclusion because of everything I know that I've read uh, Summary-wise, so I've never read any of the issues that deal with Nathan Christopher and the Cable Connection, only various wikis and other summaries of, of issues. But this is where that... There's no Cable Connection in this issue that I'm aware of, other than no. Cable is one of the 12, and yes, he's got a bionic over his right eye. But yeah. there's nothing here to indicate that... In fact, I don't even think there's anything to indicate that, that he's being launched into the future, but we'll, we'll get there when we get there. So we had started out with... Uh, him, Nathan, Christopher, in the the bassinet, whatever you want to call it, cradle, with all these tubes. He's fine. He doesn't have anything on his skin. Ascani jumps down to take the brunt of whatever damage. Uh, and then the next time we see Nathan Christopher, it's Beast pulling him out of the cradle. So I guess Ascani disrupted the electrical field or whatever, because Cyclops can, or Beast can now grab him. But as soon as he grabs him and pulls him out, the next panel we see he's covered in all the circuitry. So was that circuitry always happening, or is the circuitry a result of Beast pulling him out of the cradle? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to assume it was always happening. Okay, we just didn't see it, or it wasn't... We just didn't see it, or... Properly or it inked, was, or something? It wasn't, uh, it wasn't properly explained because of the way that... I don't know, it's, it's, it seems like an afterthought. So, um, Beast says, yeah, there's, some, there's something wrong with the baby, Gene... Eugene says that. Uh, they both agree with that. Um, Ascani there, who's in the background now. I'm going to guess that that's the, the police officer, uh, Angel's yeah, girlfriend. Yeah, Charlotte Jones. Yeah. She says, uh, Ascani says, Kinsman, please, I can save the Chosen. That that was why I was sent. Do we know if she, maybe, do we know that she was sent from the future? 
I believe so. Okay, yeah. all right. I, I all believe right. that was revealed in the last issue. Okay. So Gene is pulled into uh, the mind of Nathan Christopher, which is kind of a neat idea, right? There's a lot of puppy dogs and sunshine and flowers and stuff. And Gene is portrayed as this this metallic warrior. Uh, so the, Gene's like, okay, this is how you see me and this is how you see the world around you. Uh, but then Apocalypse enters this whole dream thing and talks and they fight. And Apocalypse is wearing, well, it's like Apocalypse is a armor shell around Nathan Christopher. Right. It's kind of odd. And I don't, I wasn't sure if this was like, is this really Apocalypse? Hey, going back to that whole Cable, Nathan Christopher connection, we've already read an issue in which somebody called Cable Nathan, I think. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so I think people are not, like, creative staff are just not paying attention to what they're doing, and uh, uh, the fans are like, oh, Nathan, Nathan Christopher. Oh, he's going the future. And he, Cable just appeared out of nowhere. We've seen that Cable can just change his name whenever he wants to. Well, because yeah, like his his past identities have apparently been like Sarge and yeah, Fritz and whatever. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he 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 has as many names as they need him to. Right. I mean, it's not abnormal for comics to accidentally give people the wrong name. Right. David Bruce Banner. Well, Nathan Christopher Summers. <laughs> Xavier Summers. Cyberno. Cyberno, for <laughs> and, sure, yeah. And the list goes on. Fred Duncan, he had two different names. I Fred guess. Amos Duncan. Fred Amos Duncan, yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, so Apocalypse Armor, Nathan is fighting Gene. So I don't think it's actually Nathan. I think it's Apocalypse's corruption around uh, Nathan fighting Gene. So Apocalypse and so we know that Gene is in uh, Nathan's head. Yes. Is this so Apocalypse also is in the same head somehow? Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's through the tubes or he maybe Apocalypse has sort of always been there throughout this entire adventure. Uh, and Nathan finally pulled Gene and then ultimately Cyclops into his head to to fix this. Well, but. Gene like tags out. And tags Cyclops in. Okay. With a with a sword. So yep. that's convenient. Yep. Yeah. It, and a... it looks like Cyclops stabs uh stabs Apocalypse through the Nathan. <laughs> well, but above guess, the Nathan. Uh, slightly above the Nathan. Yeah. There's also some contact or conversation uh, where they try to tie this all into Phoenix and the dark side of the moon and all that stuff. It's very loose though. Yeah, you you died here before, and now this is like a super important event happening here again. Yeah. You guys are tied to the blue area of the moon. Yeah. Bloody, bloody, blah. She chose me because in a lot of ways I'm essentially simpatico to them both, my love and my son, and because once, a long time ago, I fought on the astral plane to save her. I don't remember that. I don't either. Uh, (laughs) That duel I lost. This one I won't. Now... Since Chris Claremont's doing the script, he's referring to something that happened, yeah. but I just can't think of what that would be. I don't recall Cyclops ever fighting on the astral plane, but anyways, uh, he he is able to stab the apocalypse out of Nathan. They sort of all collapse um, outside of the dream now. And this is where I just gave up with the art, because I'm like looking at the art. I'm just like, okay, they're in the astral plane. Fine. And then they get out of the astral plane and they collapse to the ground like they're hurt. And then Cyclops blasts Apocalypse. It's like, what is going on? <laughs> are they hurt or are they not hurt? It's a, I guess not. 
it's a it's a dramatic moment in which you know Cyclops and it, it's not very well established. Like Cyclops is pulling all of his strength together and mustering all of his rage and energies, and then he lets his eye beams go wide and, and blasts Apocalypse away. And you're like, I mean, you could have just done that right away. <laughs> we didn't need all these dramatics and like he was never like knocked out of the equation to where this is like a um, uh, an impactful moment. Uh, but anyways, that's that's what he does. He, he's like, oh, I'm going to shoot Apocalypse. Oh, okay. Shot him. He's gone. He probably escaped. We don't care. We've got bigger things to work with. Wouldn't it be more impressive if he, like, took his eyes glasses off? Something like that. Or he, he his powers, Apocalypse was repressing his powers, and then through rage and all this, Cyclops was able to power through that, and... I don't know. They did this exact same thing with Mr. Sinister at the end of Inferno. And I don't remember exactly how it worked, but Cyclops mustered up all of his strength and then just blasted. Uh, but that was all built up of like, oh, this guy named Nathan at the uh, orphanage. He was always getting me down. And it turned out that it was Mr. Sinister. So all of that rage and stuff and history that we had been following for years was culminating into oh it's all apocalypse's fault or not Apoc uh, mr sinister's fault uh and then he blows him away that's an impactful moment this they're trying to do the same thing but you're like i just kind of came out of nowhere there is a very vague sort of idea that this he might be using his powers cyclops's powers plus gene's powers plus nathan's powers sure. all together but i don't I don't really know how that works, and it's super vague. It's just like a hard to tell what's mine, yeah. what's Gene's, what's Nathan's. There's no single essential me any longer, but a emergence into a gestalt, a coherent whole. All of us together, the family I've always dreamed of, and then I'm going to blast Apocalypse with all of this this togetherness. So, which I, would I, be I, fine, right? If it's even if it's sort of vaguely established as it is here, but if, if maybe this whole issue or maybe this entire three-part series was Cyclops, Gene, and Nathan sort of not on the same wavelength, just doing their own independent things and having issues trying to make things happen, and then finally, through this coalescence, they're able to bring it all together and Cyclops becomes the conduit for all their power, it could be very impactful. Um, this, But again, it just kind of seems to come out of nowhere. I don't mind it coming out of nowhere so much as it not being very clear. Right. Because I'm just – I'm not even sure if that's what's happening. I'm just kind of trying to figure out what's going on and guessing like maybe that's what I, what's happening. It, it seems like that could be it. I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean we're left with the vagaries of, of how this thing is drawn and a lot of words to try to put all the pieces together. But Apocalypse is gone. He's probably escaped – but now they have to figure out what they're going to do with Nathan. They're like, Nathan, he's going to die. He's he's only got moments left to live. This is terrible. I can't believe this whole thing has happened. And then Ascani's like, hey, I can take him, but you can never see him again. I'm still here. <laughs> yeah. By the way, this is the whole thing. Um, and uh, Cyclops has to make a choice. And basically the choice is you can I, I can leave without him and he'll die. Mm -hmm. Or you can send him off to a, uh, somewhere with me and you'll never see him again. And there's some there's some dramatic stakes here of Cyclops being like, oh, man, I never really had much time with my son, and now i got to give him away. Uh, I want some time to say goodbye, but Ascani's like, look, it's now or never, so you don't know if this is going to work. You're never going to see him again, uh, so choose. And so Cyclops is like, all right, here you go. She 
Uh, Cyclops asks where she's taking him, and she just says beyond. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, I mean, I don't see why Ascani couldn't be like forty years into the future. Because they, I don't think they know that yet. No, of course not. The writers don't know that. But yeah, yeah, beyond. So they go, and Cyclops is like, you know, we have sort of a follow up. Everybody's celebrating because they've had a victory or whatever. It's very uh, Return of the Jedi esque, if you ask me. Okay. Uh, because you have Cyclops and uh, Sergeant Jones for some reason, sort of like you know, at the side of the Ewok village, all forlorn. Um, I don't know why Sergeant Jones is the the. Uh, Leia here and, and not Jean because you'd think that Jean would be kind of broken up about this whole thing but he's like yeah it's okay uh, you know I, I don't know what's going to happen so I'm just going to hope for the best and uh, you know uh, hope that everything worked out so I'm okay with everything she hasn't really had much to do this issue maybe yeah, no. I don't know uh, we were all everything was born on hope so uh, I'm just going to hope for for a good ending for Nathan and then for some reason we get a final panel of the Watcher who writes a book here. It doesn't say anything. <laughs> because the Watcher showed up when Jean Grey died as the Phoenix. So you think Remember, that... He, he yeah, was there. Yeah. He was like, I was totally there, and I'm totally here too, and this is just as important as that. So at the end of the Phoenix saga, though, the Watcher's presence is earned because you had that whole saga, the Phoenix, Dark Phoenix, the Redemption attempting to try to save Jean and then her ultimate sacrifice. And then the issue ends with the watcher being like, this is what happens circle of life. And you're like, that was earned. This is just like, no. Well, plus you established that the watcher is there beforehand. Doesn't Wolverine like accidentally stumble into the watchers. Yeah. And he's like, house. he's like, you got to go. And, he's like, get out of here. <laughs> punts them out, which is kind of a funny moment. Um, but this is just like out of left field. And I don't know if they're just trying to do a, like this, this is the, the the Nathan saga. Yeah, the riding on the coattails of another of a previous great moment. It, but this it's just not earned here. And the the other thing that I have a trouble uh, I have a, a trouble with Adam as a <laughs> as a parent, right? Like you go through the entire uh, uh, cycle of Cyclops and his relationship with Nathan, and it's just awful, <laughs> right? He yeah. he met a woman who looked just like his ex wife or his dead wife, his dead girlfriend, marries her, gets her pregnant. His dead girlfriend comes back, so he leaves her and his son. Son gets kidnapped. They spend a long time not really looking for him, but then deciding to look for him and then finding him. Uh, and then now he's just going to be cast off into the beyond. Uh, this isn't a happy ending for Cyclops. <laughs> like, Well, no, it's it's it's... It couldn't be a, a, a it couldn't be a happy ending for any parent having to choose. Do I do I? Obviously, you don't want to let your child die. Yeah. But do you then give it to somebody who claims she's from beyond who will take care of the child and make him okay? And you kind of don't really have a choice. I mean, all you, of that's you, fine. You go with the craziness. I just don't think Cyclops earns uh, a. Uh, a pass or a redemption, you know, and and uh, th as we move forward, I think they're just going to like, okay, that happened. And now we're just, we're not going to address it anymore. Right. Cause they want to wipe this slate clean. They want to get back to the basics. Right. So they introduced a son for Cyclops, which was interesting. And I think Chris Claremont's original idea there way back in X-Men 200 was, 
uh, Cyclops has to wrestle with his leadership duties to the X-Men or his obligations to his wife and child. And ultimately, in the battle between him and Storm, he, he walks away. And the intent was exit Cyclops. And then, yeah. you know, X-Factor and all that sort of stuff uh, was was created. Uh, but nobody, in my opinion, the, the people that, the creative staff dealing with Cyclops' story, the baby, Madeline, and all that, uh, haven't really created... Uh, a, re- a redemption arc for him. Everybody's like, "Oh, it's not your fault, Cyclops. Uh, Mister Sinister, he set you up. Apocalypse, he hits his problem." So they've tried end arounds to to basically make get not Cyclops's fault. But at the end of the day, when you look at his entire arc with his family, he's not a good guy. Yeah, and I think I think we've been kind of making note of that throughout the run of X Factor. It's pretty. I don't know. He's just not a good dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, or a good or a good husband. Not really. But uh anyways, that was uh, I mean to be to be fair, I've never dated somebody who looked exactly like my previously dead ex who then comes back to life. So, I don't know how I'd I'd act. Look, I don't want to say that that would be an easy situation in which you would be like, "I'm going to make the right decision." Um so it's it, that's a, you know it's a difficult uh, it's a difficult uh, position to be in, and, and I don't I don't know that this whole arc redeems Cyclops. That's all. That's all I'm saying, Adam. At the end of the day, he just loved Jean Grey too much. Sure, he should have been with Emma the whole time. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a whole other thing that I don't <laughs> I don't understand, but it doesn't matter. Let's talk about. Uh, uh, Wolverine uh, issue number 41. Okay. I remember when this came out because you, we were, we were at the Messina mall. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I think you picked up a copy of silver surfer 50. Could be. Cause it had that foil embossed cover, which I think was the first could be foil embossed cover. And I wanted to pick up a copy of silver surfer, but I only had a couple bucks and this new issue of Wolverine was out. And I was like flipping through it and I got to the part where Sabretooth is like, I'm your ever loving daddy dearest spoilers. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I got to buy this. I regret my choice now. Do you? No, I mean, you know, I don't regret owning this issue. I was super excited at the time, but I regret not getting a copy of Silver Surfer 50, although it's probably not worth anything anymore. Oh, I'm just I, I don't know. Cover price is a buck fifty, which is pretty crazy because the cover price on this is a dollar seventy-five. Yeah, that's why I couldn't afford both. I that's a lot of money. Let's see here. Uh, I don't. I'm on GoCollect.com, and it says that if you have a a nine point issue, what does FMV stand for? Fully movable visor. Hmm. Okay, so I don't know what that means. I'm seeing some prices around. Fifty dollars or twenty nine dollars. I can't. I can't figure out this value here. Don't you have a, a valuation website? Yeah, I don't remember what it's called. Let's there see. it is. It's Zap Kapow. Let me go to eBay real quick. I feel like neither of them are worth much, but I'm probably wrong. Well, this definitely is because every everything in this Wolverine issue will get retconned. Oh, okay. So, so Silver Surfer fifty you could buy right now for uh, uh, four and a half dollars shipped. Oh, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> and the majority of that price is the shipping. Uh sold a dollar 99 cents, 2.99 and 
And then let's look up Wolverine 41. Uh, well, there's a Wolverine 40 and 41 sold for 98 cents plus $3.49 shipping. So neither <laughs> of them uh, are, are particularly valuable. I will tell you that, well, I'll tell you I don't remember anything from that Silver Surfer issue, uh, but reading this issue is a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, this is a great issue um, for sure. And I, and I and I relived my childhood excitement yes. at reading this for the first time because you get a lot of uh, you get a huge like Wolverine reference to issue 10, which is exciting. What was that reference? The whole Silver Fox. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Sabretooth stuff. Yeah. Uh, and and then you get to see Sabretooth again, who I, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't know that he had just fought Caliban in the sewers. I don't remember that issue, but it is referenced. It's a new mutant. It is issue. referenced, and uh, so yeah, this is actually where Sabretooth was leaving off. To me, uh, this issue uh, is is um, Larry Hama saying like, "This is my book, and these are the things that I want to do." I feel like his last few issues have been good, um, but sort of just kind of carrying on what was already laid out. Uh, but this issue, you know, he's going in, the, especially the Silver Fox stuff. So I, I feel like he's maybe in sort of a berserker. He's not able to control himself uh, because he's just crashed into something from that, that jet that Albert was flying. Um, I feel like he's not quite himself, and that's why he's reliving this whole Silver Fox thing. And then you've got the parallels with Sabretooth just happens to be down here. Um, it's great. And then I wonder, Adam, it, is, is Sabretooth his father? <laughs> no <laughs> okay I, I think in the very next issue Sabretooth is like I was just lying yeah okay which makes me wonder about the whole thing is like did Larry Hama because because it's always been kind of it's always been kind of implied by Chris Claremont that Sabretooth was his father his father or just like some previous relationship I always thought it was his father but I don't know I mean is Chris Claremont they're somehow, they're somehow weirdly related yeah Chris Claremont how shall I put this? So when Chris Claremont originally in, um, introduced Sabretooth, I don't think that he had any idea that there was a relation between Sabretooth and Wolverine. And it wasn't until a little bit later when he's like, yeah, oh, their power sets are so similar. They're practically identical characters. Let me let me try to create like a backstory for these two characters. And the only implication that I ever got that Sabretooth might be his father is that Chris Claremont kept having... Sabretooth referred to Wolverine as boy. Hey, boy, I'm here to punch you. And then in uh, Wolverine number 10, it's established that Sabretooth always finds Wolverine on his birthday. Right, which I think is also spelled out in one of the classic X-Men backstories written by Chris Claremont. To like attack him or kill somebody close to him or just remind him that he's out there. And I wonder if... Uh, Wolverine 10 came out first or that classic X-Men came out first? I think they were both written by Chris Claremont, so it probably doesn't matter. Oh, okay. Yeah. That probably means they came out at the same time. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised. There's some other fun stuff here where the, you know, the the Morlock sewers, well, the sewers are are filling up. Mask is still in control of the Morlock, so it's nice to see that band again and all the Morlocks are like, Mask, what are we going to do? And Mass is like, I got a plan. You, strong guy, like turn these cranks. We'll we'll redirect all the water to the South Street outlet, and that directly impacts the Wolverine and Sabretooth fight. 
Uh, and then later on, they're like, oh, the gates are getting clogged up. What are we going to do? Well, let's open up all the gates. And that provides a, an escape for Wolverine and Sabretooth. Just a lot of inter- neat, interconnected little things happening throughout this issue. And meanwhile, we're following Jubilee and Forge as they're trying to figure out what happened to Wolverine. He's not at the bottom of the bay because we, where we cut to last issue, they dive into the, the water to go after the downed uh, ship. And they find Albert who comes back to life at the end of the issue. LCD and, uh, is looking for helpful Wolverine because he, she can't move him or save him or whatever. She uh, bumps into Cable in the sewers. And I don't, why is Cable down here? Cable says something like, he's like, I uh, heard that Sabretooth was still down here. So I came down to kill him <laughs> basically. Yeah. Says, and it should be noted. There was a nasty piece of work alive down here who I thought was dead. Wouldn't do too for a nice girl for you to run into him. It should be noted that Cable's right eye is the scarred, damaged one, and the right eye is where Nathan Christopher had all the electronics. I don't know if that's a coincidence or if that was planned. It's got to be a coincidence. I'm sure. Because <laughs> I think Longshot has a star on his right eye. Yeah. Like, anybody who has anything on their eye, it's like, it's the right eye. What a great coincidence. <laughs> Maybe Longshot is Cable. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe he's like the in-between. So Nathan grows up to be Longshot, grows up to be Cable. Yeah. A lot of time travel. We already know that time has no meaning for whatever Longshot's race is. So, yeah. There. Come on, writers. <laughs> Work that into the latest uh, run of X-Men. So I think it gets revealed in a couple issues that Sabretooth just kind of said that to throw Wolverine off of his game. Yeah. And uh, I have to imagine, though, that like yourself, comic collectors of Wolverine were like, oh my god, huge yeah. reveal. It's like, whoa, that's it. That's, that makes sense and it's crazy and it's awesome. Um, Yeah. And then it gets, the rug gets pulled up from under us in like one or two issues. Which is fine because having like the bad guy be the good guy's father is a little cliche, a little hackneyed. Yeah, yeah. And the, eventually we do learn what Wolverine's relationship to Sabretooth is, and I think it's in the Origin 2 collection. I don't know. Yeah. I read those a long time ago. Same. Isn't he uh, like a... He's a friend of like the groundskeeper or something like that. No, No. he's not. There is a character that I I thought was supposed to be Sabretooth, but then Sabretooth actually shows up fully formed in uh, Origin 2. But that oh. character, I think his name is Dog or something. Yeah. Dog is not Sabretooth? No. Okay. Well, I, thought it, I thought it was too. I don't and think they, I... And then they actually have Sabretooth show up in Origin 2 and you're like, oh, never mind. Yeah. I guess I wasn't Dog. I didn't read Origin 2. I think I only read Origin 1 and just assumed that that Dog was Sabretooth. But that's probably what they wanted you to think. I think in Origin 2, he joins the circus and then Sabretooth is a part of the circus. I forget. It's been a while. So (laughs) Wolverine and Sabretooth, they got to fight all these alligators and rats that are being flushed down the sewers. So for a moment, they're sort of fighting side by side. It doesn't last very long. They just continue fighting each other as a big tidal wave comes. Uh, Yeah, it's a good issue. Uh, Cable and LCD never quite make it to Wolverine. Well, uh, they make it to a door. Yeah, that. Is the Wolverine and Cable or uh, Sabretooth are on the other side of that is slowly flooding with water that that they can't open the door, so they're presumably going to die, drowning and fighting. But I 
I'm assuming Cable's going to open the door for them. It's a it's a nicely paced uh, issue, right? So you've got the Forge and Jubilee stuff happening. You've got the Cable and LCD stuff happening. You've got the Morlock thing that's happening. And then you've got the uh, Logan and Sabretooth thing. And, and none of it feels, you know, it just, it just feels really well paced. Uh, it was... I don't know. I don't want to say it was a quick read. It was it was a fun read, right? So I, I got done with it, and I was like, that was a lot of fun. Get some good emotions from Jubilee. She's like, constantly like, I know he's still alive. You can't you can't give up on him. Everybody's like slowly giving up on him. Yeah. And Forge just doesn't want to let go for a little bit, but then eventually he's like, you got, yeah, I don't I don't think he made it. And Jubilee's like, no, it can't be. Yep. A fish chews on one of Albert's wires, which somehow brings him back to life. But that's fine. Yeah, whatever. And it's then like we, some sort of electric jolt somehow. Then we get a pinup gallery of Mike Mignola, Wolverine, and Cable, which I will tell you as a kid, I would have hated this. I'd have been like, this is a bad drawing. <laughs> uh, but now sort of as an adult with different eyes, um, you know, it's, it's definitely of Mike Mignola's style. We get an Art T Bear one with Wolverine and Sabretooth, and I think Art T Bear is the guy who ends up taking over X Men after Jim Lee leaves. And this is the, the this is the pinup I'd have been like, oh, it's awesome, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very it's very awesome and and nineties. It is very nineties for sure. <laughs> so that takes us to what uh, the Excalibur. Oh my God. Ugh. <laughs> oh yeah, this one was this was this was another rough read. Um, I mean, I this was uh, the cover is kind of fun. Like I like this Doctor Doom at the bottom, who's like, "Why me?" But other than that, this like you can pretty much tell from the cover that the art is not going to be good going into this. Well, we talked about it. I mean, and I would love to say that this is a style, but like I just can't get behind this. This this. This is hard to follow. It's very diff- I like I don't know what's going on most of the time. Um yeah, for the most part I guess I would say if they could have had I mean Alan Davis of course is done with the with the run, but if they could have had like Alan Davis doing the wraparounds and then whoever this guy is doing the limbo stuff, then I'd be like, okay, so this is just like warped crazy perspective, limbo. crazy limbo style but it's it's not um and you're right it, it is it's really hard to follow <laughs> i'm trying so, to even come up with a way to summarize it so what i got out of this issue is that so doc this is part three of the prometheum yeah. so set it up right or something dr doom is. tricked shadow cat into opening up a portal into limbo they all went to limbo the west coast avengers showed up they went into limbo wacky things are happening uh and dr doom is wanting to be in control of limbo because that's going to make his powers bigger or something he's, he's got the sword of that uh iliana's sword the, the soul, soul sword, sword. Yep. so he's in charge of limbo now which is why all of the demons look like uh classic superheroes yeah you've, you've got a evil looking punisher evil looking spider-man i think is here evil looking daredevil which would be fun if you could like really tell what was going on but most of the time you can't. So it's kind of like, wait, who is that? And who is that fighting? Okay. I think I get it. I mean, it. I don't I don't want to be too judgy, but it's like, 
feel like I could have drawn this issue. <laughs> um, because it's just, there's a lot of flat. I mean, there are some some dynamic uh, perspective poses, but a lot of them are just uh, sketches. The they, artist they has sketches. a good control of shapes of bodies. Yeah. Like his body shapes are decent. Like, like these look like they could be real bodies most of the time. Yeah, like on page eight, there is a sort of a, a bust of Rachel. I couldn't draw that. That's that's a pretty good bust. But most of this other stuff is very flat. And, and I think, I don't even know if the anchors, I mean, he's obviously helping, but it's weird. <laughs> so demons, so I mean, yeah, so there's a lot of fighting and whatnot. And then out of nowhere, seemingly to me anyways, this. Well, it's actually, this, this character was established in the previous two issues, but in such a way that I didn't even realize it was going to be a thing. Okay. So to me, he just kind of came out of nowhere. And I'll be honest, it's probably because I skimmed the last two issues. But he's like, hey, Dr. Doom, you know me. And Dr. Doom's like, I don't know you. I torture a lot of people. And this guy's like, yeah, well, you you broke my body, and then you broke my spirits and my will. You just watched and tortured me, and my name is... Who is he? <laughs> it doesn't remember. matter. But apparently he's a reference to something that happened in Fantastic Four issue 142 and 194. So, I mean, somebody's doing their homework. I guess Scott Laudel is the writer, so good on him, I guess. Those are the only two Fantastic Four issues he read, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to use this guy. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. <laughs> so he's, I mean, you know, Scott Labdell's going to take over writing one of the X books. So get used to this. Yeah. So he, I guess, somehow got flung into limbo, and he's he's got it in for Doctor Doom. Uh, and he's been waiting. He so originally Doctor Doom. He was a human once, and yes. then Doctor Doom had some Prometheum and laced it to his skeleton, turning him into the demon monster that he is now. And he's just been waiting for his revenge in Limbo, knowing that Doctor Doom would come back because there's so much Prometheum in Limbo. Uh-huh. Uh, all of this is told in this issue. Yeah. Um, then Doctor Doom's like, oh, I wish I had known that Prometheum was so valuable back then. I wouldn't have wasted it on you. Ugh. Right. And he defeats Doctor Doom. And Doctor Doom's like, all right, I'm going to get out of here. And as soon uh, as Doctor Doom leaves, Sim shows up and he's like, hey, give me that soul sword. And this dude, whatever his name is, like, no, I'm in control. Yeah, and so he takes over Limbo. His name is Desmond Pitt. I found it. Okay. And uh, he takes over Limbo and basically in one panel says, oh, and by the way, I made it so Prometheum no longer exists in Limbo. <laughs> he, also, so, he, also, problem solved. he also swallows uh, Sim. Oh, yeah, yeah. He swallows Sim, so Sim is like a part of him now. And he almost swallows Megan. But Megan's like it also turns into like a really weird Megan story where she she all of a sudden out of nowhere because throughout I think the majority of this issue she's like hey why aren't I changing I should be taking on the forms of all these people but I'm not and then she has like a heart to heart moment with this demon where she's like uh, I'll take care of you I'll be your friend you can absorb me or you can set us free uh, and so the demon has like a moment of redemption sends everybody home and Megan's like. Why won't you come home with me and us? And there's like a, I don't know, like a weird touching moment between Pitt and Megan that yeah. seems to have come out of nowhere. And finally, Pitt's like, nah, you go home. Bye. It's like, uh, I got uh, maybe someday. <laughs> and also, Lockheed has been hurt horribly. And I guess they need to get back to Earth so that 
somebody can fix the dragon. Also mm-hmm. seems like this is unnecessary. I don't know why why this is in here, because I'm sure Lockheed is fine. Yeah, Lockheed's probably fine. But it's, that, it's just sort of like they got midway through the issue, they're like, well, we're done with Doctor Doom. I think it's neat that they dealt with Sim a little bit, brought him into the fold. I would have liked to have seen him earlier, but I guess the whole point is, is that because the Soul Sword hasn't been around, Sim hasn't been able to, I don't know, have power. I guess since Doctor Doom had it, Sim was like just waiting for his opportunity because he knows that Doctor Doom is probably more powerful than him. I guess. Yeah. Also, isn't it's not really well established here, but shouldn't Sim have more like electro things because he was uh, affected by the transmode virus? Oh, that's right. And all yeah, of Limbo was they, affected by the transmode virus. I guess they they got rid of that storyline yeah. for this storyline. Maybe it'll come back though. Who knows? And so, like, once all that sort of stuff happens and you're like, okay, well, uh, we've got, let's see, we've got uh, four pages to burn here. Let's have many of those pages be focused, or at least panels focused on Megan trying to help redeem this demon. And and seeming to, I don't want to say fall in love, but develop, like, an emotional connection to this guy. He says there's a shade of strength that you carry in your heart, and no one's really truly seen you for who you are before Uh the strength you felt in me, the reason you recognized it is because it was your strength. And she's like, oh, no one has ever told that to me before. Yeah. So they have like a connection. And I guess she wants to, him to hang out a little bit more. Someday. When you need me most. Goodbye, Megan. And so he sits. Protector of other place. No longer called Limbo. For years, he has felt alone in the dimension full of demons. Now he is completely alone, but he's regained his humanity. And he believes it was a fair exchange. So, I don't know. That, ever that, show up again? That's the question. Yeah. That, to me, like this was, this was a really weird meandering story that got us to a place that I, uh, I don't know. It feels like it should have been a little bit more established in the beginning. He will never appear again after this. <laughs> well... Uh, he was in Fantastic Four 142 through 144, one, 193 and 194, and a random issue of Thor, <laughs> and then these two issues of Excalibur. And now he, and then that was it. So I guess, you know, we'll find out, but I'll, I'll be curious to see where Excalibur goes as we re- reboot everything, essentially. Does it stay uh, unfocused? Because I'm going to call Excalibur pretty unfocused at this point. I don't know. Hmm. Having never been a fan of the book, I uh, I'm a fan of the old, you know, the early Alan Davis, Chris Claremont stuff because I feel like a lot of attention to detail and time was spent developing the art style, the you know, the crazy gang and all those creatures and and things. Uh, but then I don't know if they just wrote themselves into a corner and bailed out, and everybody else is like, oh, what do we do with this Excalibur thing? Yeah, it seems like. Let's let's give it to the new guy. Yep. Let's give it to the new kid. Okay, I'm just getting into comics. I just want to write something. Speaking of unfocused, let's, let's talk let's, about let's, Spider-Man 12. Let's come back to Spider-Man 12. Let's do <laughs> New Warriors number 13. It's funny that you knew that that's where I was going when I said unfocused, <laughs> but sure, why not? I knew exactly what you were talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, New new Warriors. I, I'll be honest, I I skimmed this thing. It was decent, whereas, you know, the the rest of the stuff we're going to cover is not so much. Yeah. Um, it basically resolves the, the three-parter that we've been talking about. With the alternate reality, 
where mutants are striking back against the giant feet, uh, sphinx creature. And at some point we get out of the mutants storyline in this and we, it kind of becomes a new warriors comic book again. And that's, I'm assuming where you kind of dropped off. The fun of this three-parter was definitely the, the two issues set up and sort of the parallels of Days of Future Past and seeing all the, you know, wacky team-ups of unlikely uh, people. But yeah, this issue, you know, sort of was like, all right, everybody attack the Sphinx, and then New Warriors do New Warrior-type things, start learning about this is really weird, this doesn't seem like it's the right reality, uh, and then... We discover that a cat is the crux of this Sphinx's power. And they threatened to kill a cat for many, many pages, which I was like, you could have found some other way to, to resolve this. Well, but there I... are several panels where Nova is holding a cat by the throat. Yeah. Like he's going to break its neck. And I'm just like, I'll do it. Oh, you better stop. I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, 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 yeah I, 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 I was uncomfortable with that. I was like, really? This is where we're going to go? Yeah, there's the one panel. Yeah, d- yeah, I'll break its neck. That's on page eighteen. We're like, eh. <laughs> all right, yeah, both of those panels, and you see the side profile, and you're like, okay, all right, that's fine. But then you get a sort of not a close up, but like a front view of like Nova squeezing the cat's neck, and you're like, um, can't this be like a like a like a um, a parallel couldn't it be like a golden cat that we're going to snap in half like not a real cat but like a, yeah, a cat any, statue any, or some other totem of power and not an actual cat and then the you know the the, the saddest part about this is you know she's like fine uh, leave my cat alone i want my cat i love my cat everything reverts back to normal and then the cat disintegrates and you get to yeah, see it like, oh my god <laughs> and then she's like i'll get you and now you're my arch rivals because all this happened and my cat disintegrated uh, it's... We never figure out who the mysterious sage person was that was revealing to Nova that this wasn't the right reality. He just sort of disappears. The cat was a lie, Sphinx. It was a symbol which did not, could not belong in this reality. Okay. So that's what yeah. Sage says. And I think that's her last line or his last line, their last line. Uh, I'm going to guess that Sage is going to come back and probably... Probably in the New Warriors, yeah. This seems like a setup for more New Warriors. But stuff. I'm going to guess it seems it's, like, like, it's like a future New Warrior that's developed some power that's coming back to help okay. them on their adventures. Um, we, we probably won't find out because... If I keep reading New Warriors and this happens, I'll let you know. Yeah. So sort of a, a sort of a letdown to, a, to a, an otherwise uh, fun story. I, I don't think it was a letdown. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a new warriors story, so it has to resolve with the new warriors right. doing stuff. Right. So, you know, otherwise it would have been kind of weird. Right. Sure. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the last part. It was, except for the, the threatening the cat for like at least six panels where he has <laughs> his, th- his, his hand around the, the neck of that cat. That poor cat's throat. Yeah. And then the cat just dissolves. Yep. Uh, yeah, that was that was a bit of a letdown. But everything gets returned back to normal, so we're back in regular timeline, and it was it was a fun little thing. Speaking of things that are not fun at all, <laughs> so we've talked about this. Um, Spider Man. I bought all these issues. Uh, I did too. I, I didn't. I don't think. Trying to th- there, so there was multiple versions of Spider Man number one. And there was one that was like worth way more, like maybe the silver, the gold. I don't remember. One of them was worth more than everything else. Uh, 
I have, I don't have that one. I don't even know if it's worth anything anymore. But at, at the time when these things were coming out, right, this was like the hottest, I think it was the hottest property Marvel was releasing at the time. Um, I didn't realize just how bad this story is. Well, as a kid, I don't think, speaking for myself at least, I don't think I had acquired the ability to really uh, have judgment around quality of storytelling, I think. Yeah, and and part of this, I guess, what are we, 14 or 15 by the time this comes out, um, I'm going to guess that the subject matter, because the subject matter is is pretty mature, pretty adult, handled poorly in my opinion, but as a 14, 15-year-old, you're probably like, oh, at least I was probably like, oh, this is so greedy and so... So pushing the envelope, uh, but I read it now and I'm just like, this is awful. <laughs> I think I think I probably just skimmed over it because it was like, it was too much for me. I was like, I, I don't really, this isn't what I read comic books for. Even as a kid, I'd just be like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to read comic books about child murderers. Well, not just child murderers, but child molesters that also yeah. murder their victims where that's where I read this. And I was like, I don't know. You could have done anything else. I don't know why you needed to go here for a comic book, especially uh, Spider-Man. That, I guess Todd McFarlane thinks developing his writing chops is to take on mature material. Sure. Uh, and what's more mature than molesting children? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty, you know, I feel like as I read this issue, it could have been left way more vague um, because there's there's some early panels where Wolverine says some things, but then he like continues to go on. Nobody noticed that they're all little boys. Uh, I was like, ah, come on, <laughs> like leave it to the imagination, or just leave it like there's a, a child murderer out there. Uh, we don't have to go to the next level. At the point where Wolverine starts doing detective work, yeah, it gets a little ridiculous. Where it's just like. The the first one had clothes. Nobody noticed that the or the second one did, had clothes, and nobody noticed that the other two didn't have clothes. And it's like I don't know. None of that really matters in the end. No, it's like all these little details that are supposed to be these sort of detective things that actually don't matter. Right. I don't know. There's. It, it's it, not a good detective story. It, it's not a good story at all. It did seem like. Like that's what Todd McFarlane was going for. Is like this is a, a a noir mystery, and 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 Wolverine's pulling all the pieces together, and maybe the audience also is supposed to be like, oh 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 yeah. But really, you're reading this like, ah, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and the like, Spider Man does nothing in this issue. Very yeah, which is the worst part. And at the end. The, not only does he do nothing, but at the very end, he's kind of angry at Wolverine for doing something. Right. And he's like, I hate these uh, the Wolverine and Punisher and Ghost Rider. I hate these guys. They make me so mad. It's, it's so much worse than what I did, which is nothing. Right. And there's a get, lot of... A, I'm getting tired of these so-called heroes' methods. We have to find ways to solve these things better. And <laughs> They make me sick as the villains. There are nine pages of Wolverine and Spider-Man arguing with each other in which out of character, in my opinion, uh, let's see here on page uh, seven, because we're just talking about like, somebody's got to stay with Wendigo. Your methods haven't worked, Spider-Man. I'm Wolverine. I'm the best at what I do. So I'm going to go figure this out. 
you stay here with Wendigo because he, he needs help and we don't need hunters shooting him. And Spider-Man's like, oh, I want to do it. Uh, and so Wolverine says, now kindly remove your hand before you lose it. Before you go, give me one reason why I should listen to you. And Wolverine grabs Spider-Man by the neck, pushes him against the tree. And I'm like, that's Spider-Man. Come on. Spidey sense. He'd jump out of the way. This wouldn't happen. And then Wolverine does the thing where he pops Wolverine his claws to the left. Do right. this either? It's just, I don't know. Uh, I I agree with that. Wolverine would maybe turn around and like give him a threatening look, but to like this whole thing is so stupid. And Wolverine threatens to expose his identity, which seems out of character. Yeah, it's yeah. like I'll I'll let the newspaper know about you, Parker. It's like whoa. And just when you think like Wolverine's made his point. I'm a moody little cuss. I promise you don't want reason three. He walks away. Spider-Man launches a, a web at his shoulder. And you're like, why? <laughs> and Wendigo cuts it. Uh, and then we get a really stupid frame of big Wendigo yelling at Spider-Man. And Spider-Man's got like a stupid grin through his costume. Which I like the stupid grin through his costume. That's fun. I like that too. But it's like, come on. <laughs> we are now on page nine of 23. And we've done nothing. Right. Well, I mean, that's what this issue is. I mean, essentially, let's. Todd McFarlane has decided that this is a Wolverine book now. Yeah. He's going to do some Wolverine writing. He's not very good at it, but so you Wolf- know, he's trying. He's trying it out. Wolverine goes and does some sleuthing through town. He's going to go smell, uh, use his senses to figure out like who the actual murderer is. And meanwhile, that writer, she's like, ah, I'm just going to write about Sasquatch. And that's when the Sasquatch from Alpha Flight's like, hey, you can't use my name. Which is funny, but also true. It's like there is a hero named Sasquatch in the Marvel Universe. Would they call Sasquatch Sasquatch or would they just call it Bigfoot or would they call it Wendigo? Right. When will they wouldn't they wouldn't call it Sasquatch because there is a hero named Sasquatch, well, I'm you, thinking. You would be like, when will the the Canadian beast die, right? Or something like that. You wouldn't say, when will Sasquatch die? And then you get a goofy little panel of Puck who's like, oh, Wolverine's yeah. on the case. Don't worry about it. It was fun. It was welcome. I enjoyed it. 11 days. I'm not so sure. Come on. Like, he's a pro, eh? Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. And they threw in an A because yeah. it's Canadian. This is just a wasted. So this is this is like our down and dirty, gritty, oh, things are so serious and grimy right now. And then we throw in this little... This little joke. Full page yeah. spread joke. Thank God. <laughs> I guess. I mean, maybe Tom McFarlane's like, I gotta lighten the mood. Let me throw a full page joke in here. I need some brevity. Or some levity, I mean. Uh, I don't know. And so, some brevity. This should have been a two-parter. So Wolverine brings a guy who I had forgotten about. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Hunter guy. Hunter guy. Tracker guy. Yeah. And we're led to believe that this is the guy. Like, he set this whole thing up and... And then Wolverine brings a couple cops out. Oh, we get this awesome panel of him on page 15 with his butt in the air as he's standing on a tree branch. And I understand what Todd McFarlane's going for, but it looks so stupid. (laughs) It really looks stupid. I want to talk a little bit about some of the Wolverine drawings in this, but... Sure. When we get to the bottom, when we get to the end. There's a great... On the next page, there's a great Spider-Man in a spider web. Oh, yeah. I mean... That's an awesome picture. if, If Todd McFarlane can draw anything, it is... Spider-Man. Spider-Man in his webs. That's all Todd McFarlane should ever draw. And I guess maybe Spawn, because he does that pretty well, too. Uh, but everything else is, is kind of kind of bad. So some cop shows up, and Sp- or Wolverine's got 
the tracker, whatever his name is. And he's like, I'm going to kill him. You admit it. You did all this stuff. And that's when he reveals like they were naked. They weren't naked. This had clothes. He was decomposed. He wasn't decomposed. Animals don't do that. It's humans that do that. And then he feigns killing the tracker only to get the cop to, I guess, admit that he's actually guilty. Well, it, it would be it would be smart if he got the tracker or the cop to admit that. But no, all he does is turn around and say, now that I've killed this guy, it turns out Wolverine just says, you killed the boy. It's not this guy. Pretty <laughs> he sick. Even, he doesn't even like like get a confession out of him. Right. He just it's It's weird how this is done. Pretty sick, huh? Fact is, he didn't kill the boys. You did. And I'm like, who is this guy? Have we seen this guy before? Probably. Uh, you just didn't want any witness. I don't know what you're talking about. Does he act? Oh, yeah. Okay, I admit it. It was me, the boys. They were having problems. They were going to run away. I didn't mean to hurt them. But what if they told? So I planted the rice boy. Figured if we got the Bigfoot, then it'd be safe to return. Had him chewed up, blah, blah, blah. Then I stalled the autopsy. I sent over to Vancouver, blah, 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 blah. And Wolverine gives the tracker guy that so he supposedly killed the tape. But then through um, uh, narration, we find out all about like the molestation and all this sort of stuff. I don't know. And then a hunter accidentally kills Thorpe is his name. The cop. The yeah. cop who I guess was behind this whole thing, which again, isn't like there's no moment where I was reading this issue where I was like, oh, it was Thorpe. Thorpe all along. I was like, right. who, who is Thorpe? Well, I think the twist was supposed to be that we're led to believe that it's the tracker and right. then it's not the tracker. Wolverine was just pulling a trick in order to get the cop to confess, but it's handled so ham fistedly that it's just so dumb and so obviously a ploy to make a twist for the audience that is, I don't know, in, in your words, undeserved. Oh, absolutely. It, yeah, it's... Uh... Yeah, so Wolverine does all this stuff, and then, you know, uh, Peter Parker, he gets on the plane, and he's just like, I'm sick of all these people. And I was like, you know, he goes through this whole thing of like, I'm going to change things. Um, uh, I hope Mary Jane can convince me that there's a different way to go about this. So I did actually peek ahead to issue number 13. This is Nobody talks about this. <laughs> there's not a moment where he's like, oh, man, this horrible thing happened in Canada. I really need you to talk me off the ledge, Mary Jane. Instead, there's like like sexy time tickle spider web stuff, and I was like, well, "This is dumb." <laughs> so uh, that's me saying uh, I was wrong uh, when I was a kid. These these are not good. <laughs> no, no, they were not. I wonder, and I've never re I, other than Spawn number one. Like, did he was he able to sort of pull his craft together? I have to imagine. I would hope I, Yeah, I mean, Spawn's still going, so I don't know if he's still writing it or if he uh, is like someone he just else draws, is taking over. I feel like he just draws the covers to Spawn. It could be. You could be right. And I think other people handle the book. Because I think he's more focused on his toys and some of his animation and all the other stuff that he has going on. Which means he's a good businessman. Good for him. Yeah. But, yeah. So I want to go back to page one okay. of this. Yeah. And just I like I this is a really good drawing of Wolverine. I like this drawing. It's okay. It's a little it's a little odd. It doesn't entirely look like Wolverine, but it's a good drawing of a human being. With yeah. F funky hair. Yeah. And I like that it's Wolverine. Yeah. Then you turn the page, and then now it's it's kind of a weird, not very good drawing of Wolverine where his chin disappears into his chest for some reason. This sort of looks like that um, the meltdown issue. Yeah, he's doing the meltdown here, which is fine. 
that was which a, is a little interesting. And then you switch two pages and you have like demon Wolverine. All of a sudden he's got red eyes and he yep. looks like the son of Satan. Yep. And it's, it's the art's all over the place. I like the shot of him putting on the mask. It's kind of cool. Yep. Something we haven't seen before. And then we turn the page and his cowl is gigantic. Yep. That is the cowl change shape throughout the entire issue from very large to not quite as large to stupid large which is fine and then we learn that he i guess he put on his masks to just to walk away because in the next time we see him he's not wearing his costume so really didn't need to put on his mask at all nope but whatever uh yeah i just wanted to talk about those first few pages they're they're they range between decent to terrible (laughs) i especially don't like the ones where he just looks straight up evil you get another one where he's uh got his claws on the tracker's head wolverine's supposed to be a small guy and he looks like uh, a wwf wrestler (laughs) as he's got that guy so those teeth bad perspective and then it's just a lot of like wolverine butt out in a weird angle. And it's like, oh. <laughs> I feel like Wolverine's too cool to put himself in that sort of a pose. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's bad stuff. So there you go. There Speaking you go. Wolverine, we got a uh, pretty quick two page cameo of Wolverine doing Madripoor stuff in this issue of uh, Nick Fury, agent of shield. I'm assuming he's going to be showing up in later issues of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., and that's why we're doing this. It's not just a random two-page of Wolverine, but he's in Madripoor. He's following. The, there's some girl that's got his eye, and she's turning out to set him up. He's wearing uh, he's wearing a, a, a clothes that I've never seen him in before. He's got a, some white pants, black shirt, and... Uh, what are those? Not not overalls, but you wear those like straps to keep your pants on. Suspenders. Suspenders. He's got suspenders on. I've never seen Wolverine in suspenders. I like it. Sure. It's very eighties. <laughs> he looks like he should, uh, should be in a music video. Uh, and then Marvel Comics presents number seventy. You know, <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I could really. Maybe, maybe next episode. I'm going to reread all of these and try to explain what happens in this overall arc. Cause I feel like really nothing happens. This is just a ton of nothing. Well, isn't that the majority of these? I guess so. Uh, Ghost Rider and Wolverine have split up with the other kind of B members of the team that are trying to find, uh, I think his name is death watch. And basically they, they all make their way to the same place separately for some reason. And then it turns out that the Death Watch guy, the, the big bad that they've been going after, uh, was unaware of this whole thing. So I'm not sure what's going to happen. But like, I don't know. This whole thing seems like it's leading up to a boss fight. So it's it's like a video game sort of. So just imagine a Wolverine versus Ghost Rider video game. Is it, is it like a fighting game or a beat em yeah, up? Yeah, it's like or? a fighting game. It, and you, you have four options of characters and your okay. character options are Ghost Rider Wolverine, uh, Brass, the new character, okay. or or the uh, random dojo guy, who I think his name is in here, Yuji? Yuji? Sure. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter. We'll never see these characters again. 
and uh, you you do some fighting in a graveyard, then you do some fighting uh, in the city outside of a building, then you fight up the stairs. Uh, unless you take the Ghost Rider route, then you fight on the side of the building in your motorcycle, which would probably be more fun. You all get together, and then you fight a whole bunch of ninjas, and then you have a boss battle. And I think that's pretty much sums up what this story has been. It sounds like a fun game. I'm not going to lie. And it, and it, and then as a child, as a kid, reading this was fun. Mm. And I think, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> there's, there's like a, like any video game, it's not really about the story. It's just about the fighting. Yeah. And so it's not really that exciting to describe to people. Sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this would have been much better as a video game. Did you read Warlock and the Flesh Tones? I think that's in the next one. No, isn't it? It's, uh, uh, oh, you're right. Yeah, that's that's next week. I will read that. Yeah, okay. But, I was uh, getting ahead of myself. We're so uh, close to uh, uh, that one story. Weapon X. Yeah, 72 is when, when Weapon X happens. Yeah, no, I'm not sure we when should... we're going to fit that in, but we'll definitely have an episode of that. I think uh, here's what I'm leaning towards, Adam. Okay. Patreon. So, tell me. Single episode uh, Patreon. Weapon X. No, we can't do that. Why not? Uh, I don't know. That's 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 what everybody does. Oh, you uh, want the good stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Pay us. I don't know. We have everything out in the open. It would be weird to have this one story that you have to pay for. All right, fine. <laughs> not very good at capitalism, Adam. No, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, that that's why we didn't charge anybody during most of the pandemic. Yeah, that's true. Because I'm terrible at capitalism. All right. That's well, it. Yeah. That's everything. I, I'm looking forward to wrapping up this Ghost Rider Wolverine story. I'm curious to see, since the the main bad guy doesn't seem to know what's going on, what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm also looking forward to you wrapping up this Ghost Rider Wolverine story. <laughs> All right, Adam, you got anything else? No. Well, I don't either. I guess I need to do a couple of things before I actually turn this thing down. Uh, visit us. At xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com slash dangerroompodcast, or Twitter us at dangerroomgo. Email dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. Go out to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe and stuff. Uh, and you can go to the aforementioned patreon.com slash dangerroom to pick up on what's current, well, at least six months ago happening in the current runs of uh, the X-Men and soon uh, X-Men Forever. Is it forever? X Men Forever? I think so, yeah. Yeah. In a in a in a few weeks anyways, once we once we get beyond X Men number three. I was looking into the X Men Forever. There's actually two X Men Forever series, um, both which are all Chris Claremont. And there's a couple of annuals too. Interesting. So plenty oh. of content. Uh hence coming forth forward on the Patreon for I guess an alternate universe where I don't know. I'm going to assume that around. stuff gets crazy. Probably. Hopefully it's not crazy stupid. Well, he's not going to have any rules, so it's going to be sort of a unhinged Chris Claremont. Oh, man. Just what I've been looking forward to. <laughs> All right. And with that, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed.